0: Hey, good morning Hills family. How we doing? Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Man, I want to greet some people right now. Good morning over in the venue. All the people that are over there right now that got into Overflow. God bless you guys. Thank you for being there. It was packed last service. I don't know how many are there now, but good morning to you guys. Good morning to our Old Town campus. Good morning Pastor Dwayne and that crew out there. Good morning to all my roughnecks at Tulare Street. What's up to you guys? Good morning to the faithful in Novato and Marin County. And good morning to our online community, though. It appears to me that all of the online community came to church today. So, <laughs> we're glad you're here. God bless you guys. So, uh, man, happy Easter, everyone. Happy Easter, right? It's a good day. Um, I have a, uh, I've been, I've been on a vocal rest. I got what doctors call vocal nodules. And what it means is I talk too much. So I, I, I rested for a month, and then um, I'm coming right back at it with five sermons in one day. So um, I'll probably lose my voice by tonight, but I'll, I'll, I think I'll be okay for next week. I do, though, like, I want to, one, I want to encourage you, Tuesday night, come to Tacos with the Pastors. It's going to be super fun. Uh, those of you that are new to this church, we'd love to help you get connected, because this is an amazing church full of amazing people. Aren't you guys amazing? Yeah, okay, anyways, and humble, too. So, um... <laughs> I was in the Philippines. I got home Wednesday at 3 a.m., and I'm still, like, working through jet lag, but uh, it was just one of the, the cooler trips I've, I've been on. And while we were there, um, we saw 165 people say yes to Jesus. We were able to baptize 32 people. I don't think those numbers are up in the Race to Life thing yet, but we'll get them there next week. It was amazing, and um, one of the ways we were sharing is uh, the church in the Philippines. By the way, it's a church we planted about 15 years ago. It's packed. It's vibrant. It's planting churches all around the community. It's just really cool to see God at work there. Um, one of the things they do, and it works in their community, is they go door to door, just telling people about Jesus. I know in our culture, people are like, uh, "I don't want solar," <coughs> you know, "I don't want Direct TV," <coughs> you know, "I don't want to become Mormon," <coughs> right? That like, our culture has a different vibe. But there's, like, you go to the door, and they're like, oh, yeah, come on in, you know. And you go into these homes, and, um, you know, many of these homes where the church is are, you know, they're they're shanties. They're made made of cardboard. They're made of uh, spare wood they've found, Um, a tin roof, just a lean-to, and these humble people. And um, I remember I was, we were walking along, and there was this one house, and it didn't even have a front door. It was just wide open. There was no door And there was this boy who had um, up syndrome. If you're wondering what up syndrome is, it's what I call down syndrome because I don't. If if you have down syndrome, every room you walk in, you bring up. That's just a reality, right? And this kid had that. He had this smile, and he smiled, and it melted me. I was like, oh my gosh. He smiled at me, and I waved at him. I began to speak to him, and he was really shy, and he put his head down. And then I kind of was like, hi, hi, you know. And I, I started walking towards the door, and he disappeared. <laughs> and then he stuck his head back out and looked for me, and I kind of moved back. And he came back, and he's smiling. We were trying to get his mom or someone out so we could talk to him. And uh, they never came out, so we moved on. But another... Um, Another group of us were, you know, we're hitting the whole neighborhood. They ended up talking to Grandma and led her to Christ and led him to Christ. Yeah. And the Filipino church, MMIC, with Pastor Florente, they have a genius way of getting people in the waters of baptism, right? It's, I mean, it's in the Barangay. It's in this very poor area. Is um, To do baptisms, they rented out this resort that had a pool. And they told the people in the Barangay, Hey, if you want to get baptized now that you accepted Jesus, come Thursday to this place, and we're going to roast a pig, we got food, we're going to have a party, and we're going to baptize you in the pool. And um, we ended up baptizing 32 people that day, and probably one of the most special baptisms of my life is that little guy. Do we have that picture, Addison? There he is. It was so cool. Here's, Here's why I show you this. That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. You'll turn on your news channel and they'll they'll talk to you about something stupid Christians are doing. And to be honest, it's a small minority because the rest of the world, things like that are happening everywhere. In this church, marriages are being saved. Lives are being saved. People are coming off of drugs. People's lives are being changed by the gospel. But all you'll ever hear about is when someone does something stupid. So I just want you to know something. The kingdom of God is at work. Don't believe them. Don't believe them. So um, th- I love the Philippines. Though It was crazy. Here, here's why. We ended up speaking at like they, they, they got, got me to go s- preach the gospel at a high school, like at a public school. And I was like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, yeah, just go for it. And I'm like, do an altar call? And they're like, yeah. So I just went for it. I went hard. And um, like called them forward. That, if you want Jesus, get up, come forward right now. And then this happened. It was crazy. That was, that was rad. So, so then I'm like, oh, my gosh. And they're going bonkers. And then the little Filipino band got up. And they're playing. And everyone's dancing. Filipino people know how to party. I'm just letting you know. Um They're called, I'm Irish, I'm Scotch-Irish. Their culture's way better than ours. All our food is based on a dare. A dare, they eat that, right? It's kind (laughs) of, they're going for it. And then afterwards, they're like taking selfies with me. And like, I was like, here's the thing. I'm huge in the Philippines. (laughs) Not famous. I'm like literally huge in the Philippines. Like that's a full-grown woman. That is a full-grown woman. I look like Shaquille O'Neal in the Philippines. It's awesome. Just call me Shaq Beatty. Anyways, this morning we're going to talk about the resurrection and the challenge of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus challenges us. It challenges our logic because dead people don't rise. It challenges our heart because we have to deal with whether it happened or not. And then it challenges our direction in life. And today's reading from, from God's Word comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. I would love it if you could stand in honor of God's word. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices, they prepared, and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you? While he was still with you in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered over into the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. This is God's word. You may be seated. If you have the Clovis Hills app, you can open it up. If you like taking notes, you can do that. Some people bring notebooks, whatever you want to do, or if you just want to listen. But the resurrection challenges us in three ways I want to talk about today. It challenges our logic, our head, our heart, in our direction. So let's talk about that. The resurrection challenges your logic. Um, one, I, I want to, one of the reasons I know that the resurrection is like a real event in history, it's history, it's not just a quaint story that makes a spiritual point, is there's so many little details in this story that, that show up that like, it just is real life, it's how life works. I've been a pastor for 28 years I've been in ministry for 30 years. It's hard to believe it's been that long because I'm only 32. And I, I just seen this is how people work, right? So I, I want you to notice something about this passage we just read. The very first preachers of the gospel, the people that proclaimed the gospel first, were women. Where are my ladies at? Where my ladies at? Yeah, you were there first. Do you know why you were there first? Like it... Well, when you first read it, you're like, oh, the women went there first. I wonder why. Well, here, here's here's the scenario. Jesus is crucified on a Friday. Friday is the day before the Sabbath. In Jewish culture, the Sabbath begins Friday night. The minute the sun goes down, they say, Shabbat Shalom, you don't work anymore. Right? So Jesus is on the cross on Friday afternoon, and he dies, and they have to rush to get his body off the cross Um they, they, they end up getting him, rushing him, wrapping him real quick throwing him in the tomb before the sun goes down, because it was right at the end, right before Sabbath, the, the Jews had a way, a ceremonial way that they prepared a dead body. There were certain spices, there were certain things you're supposed to do. You're supposed to commit it to the Lord. All of these things they, they would do. They were not able to do because it was rushed on Friday, and then the Sabbath happened. So they got him in Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, put him in the tomb, and they moved on. Saturday, they couldn't come Saturday and prepare him properly because that's the Sabbath. You're not allowed. Their religion forbade that. Their laws forbade that. So they couldn't do that. So it says Sunday at sunrise, early in the morning, who are the people that get things done that deal with the details that need to get it right? The ladies. That's no different today. That's no different in the Philippines, it's no different in India, it's no different in China, it's no different in Latin America. That's how it works, it's like that in the church everywhere. Um, Men have a vital role, and women have a role, but the women were the ones that said, we got to take care of Jesus' body. And they showed up and they took care of business. Most churches around the world, um, the backbone of them are godly women, so thank you, godly women. So... But they see this angel, or these angels, there's two of them, and and look what the angels say to them. They say, why, look, verse 5, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered over into the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again? Then, they remembered his words. Here's what I know about human beings, about all of us. None of us are different. Sociological fact, um, whether you are 10, a teenager, 80 years old, human beings, we hear what we want to hear. How many of you at some point in your life have gotten in trouble for having selective hearing? Yeah, we all do it. As a matter of fact, our whole society is actually designed that way now, that we get the news feed we want, we get the, you know, the opinions we want, the things we want. It's all fed to us in this echo chamber now that we live in. So we can only hear what we want. And opposing views, psychologists tell us that opposing views now give us this thing called dissonance. That we're like, ah, I don't believe that. It's contrary to how I believe. And then we get triggered And we're like, ah! And this is the crazy part. Human beings have selective hearing. And even the disciples, they were no different. See, because Jesus told him he was a king, he was the messiah, and they heard what they wanted. They're like, yeah, you're the king, you're the messiah, you're going to come to Jerusalem, you're going to overthrow the Romans, you're going to re-establish the, the religious traditions, the, get the Pharisees out, get this fake religion out, and we're your people. We're your people, we're going to be your administration, we're going to rise because you are King Jesus. And Jesus kept telling him, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over to the, to the Romans, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be I'm going to be, I'm, then I'm going to rise from the dead. Whatever, Jesus, what's my job going to be when you're king? Right? This is what's going on here. This is what's going on. And then at this point, for whatever reason, it dawned on him oh, he really was going to die. He really was going to be resurrected. His kingdom's going to look different. So I. I know some of you are thinking about the resurrection. You're like, listen, that's a very quaint story. It t- has a great spiritual me- message about rebirth and, you know, and that, that, that's excellent. But, um, you know, we're not like those ancient people. We don't, we're not superstitious like that. We know that dead people don't rise. Well, like I said, I've been, been a pastor for a long time now and I've heard all the objections to the resurrection And there's five of them, if you coalesce all of them. There's five common themes that that are objections to the resurrection. And maybe you're here today and you have one of those. I just want you to at least consider as as we go forward some some of these things. The first objection people have to the resurrection of Jesus usually is um, they'll say, Well, listen, Sean, the resurrection is in all kinds of ancient literature. Um, You know, the the Mesopotamians had... um, Tammuz, the, the, the god king that died and rose again. And um, there was Mithras out of the same region who was a god king and rose again. And uh, the Egyptians had Osiris who was a god king and rose from the dead. And, um, you know, uh, Adonis from the, the, the Persian deity, god king, died, rose again. And really all the Christians did is they took those old myths. And they put their own spin on it. So, so it, it's clearly it's a nice story. It's teaching something new. But like they're just copying all these other myths. And I would say to you, well, that makes sense when you explain it like that. Until you actually sit down and you read the myth of myth, myth, uh, Mithras. When you read about Osiris in Egypt. When you read about Tammuz. When you read about Adonis. Their stories are clearly myths and fables to make a, a lesson. When you read the Gospels, any historian will tell you that this is clearly eyewitness reportage. There's too many crazy details that are added in it that, ne- that they didn't put in myths. Myths didn't have real historical figures, real people that you could check with, real locations, things like that. They had like, you know, and Mithras assumed this magical city and he, he went forth and he married a bunch of people that weren't real historical figures, and, and that, that's kind of how a myth works. But even Pastor Scott on Good Friday, if you were here, he read from John's gospel, and in John's gospel, um, when Jesus is arrested, Peter pulls out a sword, and he tries to chop Malchus, the high priest's guard's head off. Some of you are like, it doesn't say that in the Bible. Well, he cut his ear off. I don't think he was aiming for his ear. He wasn't like, I'll take your ear off, bro. No, he was going for the head. And when he cuts his ear off, it says that Jesus reached down, picked the ear up, and put it back on him. And he was healed instantly. I want you to understand something. There's a reason John put Malchus' name in, in that story. Because Malchus lived in Jerusalem, and you could go check with Malchus. You could talk to Malchus's wife. You could talk to Malchus's kids. You could talk to Malchus's grandchildren. For three, four generations on, I'm sure he had family members like, I remember Grandpa Malchus. He had that thing on his ear, Jesus healed. Right? These were eyewitnesses and they were people you could go and check with. See, um, C.S. Lewis was a professor of mythology and uh, medieval literature. And uh, he, he taught at Cambridge, he taught at Oxford, and he was not a pastor, he was not even a Christian. As a matter of fact, one of the things that helped really him make a decision to believe in Jesus was when he read the gospel accounts, this is a man that was an expert, the leading scholar in mythology, read the gospel accounts. And I want, you, I want to read you what he said about the, about the gospel accounts. Look at this quote here. He said, I've been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legends and myths all my life. I know what they are like. I know none of them are like this. Of this gospel text, there are only two possible views. It is either reportage, eyewitness, that's British for eyewitness, or else some unknown ancient writer without known predecessors or successors suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern, novelistic, realistic narrative. Let me explain to you what he means by that. Um, so when we read a story now, you read a book, like you, you pick up Twilight, they use real places, real historical figures, like all, and they try and make you, it feel like you're in the story. They use details like that. That style of writing was not really developed until the Enlightenment. Okay? So it was 1,700 years before the, the, the apostles wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? If you were reading, I don't know, um, what's the one about the vampires? Twilight. <laughs> if you are reading Twilight, right? You, you know, you'd be reading and it'd be like, in the bright Seattle moon shone off the space needle and reflected gently on Edward's face, (laughs) caressing it, bringing across the features of his strong, square jaw. In the background, the State of the Union speech, President George W. Bush was there, and he contemplated the Bush presidency. And then he looked in the mirror and did not see his reflection. Right. That's how we write now. And it's trying to capture you, put you there. They didn't have that back then. What C.S. Lewis is saying is, he's saying, listen, in order for the gospel writers to add all these little details to this story and really make it just a made-up story to tell a point, they would have had to get in Doc's DeLorean, go 88 miles an hour, zip to the future 1,600 years, learn how to write the modern realistic narrative, Get back in the DeLorean. Go back in time. Write the Gospels. And then no one else would write like that for 1,600 years. That's ridiculous if you believe that. But if you want to believe that, you be you. I got nothing for you on that. Like that's, it's common sense that this was reported. And the more you read it, the more you realize, no, these are eyewitness accounts. Something happened. So... The next thing people say is like, "Well, Sean, the disciples bet everything on Jesus. They bet their life on this guy, and when he died, they had to think of something to you know kind of carry on the movement and carry you know so they could they could carry on in power." And I I, I want you to think about what you're saying when you say that, because here's the deal: Um, when Jesus died, the disciples had no power. They had no authority, they had no fame, they had no money, they didn't have anything when Jesus died, they, they, I mean, they couldn't pull chicks, they couldn't get anything, they had nothing. As a matter of fact, what we find is they all start leaving Jerusalem and going back to Galilee, many, many of the disciples went back to Galilee, Um, so to, to say that you know they, they kind of conspired the resurrection so they could stay in power they weren't in power Christianity did not assume a, a prominence in the Roman Empire till about 300 AD when Constantine became a Christian so that that's an irrelevant argument as a matter of fact Charles Colson um, was a lawyer for President Nixon as a matter of fact um, what the Washington Post said of him quote I quote you in The Washington Post they said that Charles Colson is in Capable of humanitarian thought. They just said he was an awful person. They called him Richard Nixon's hatchet man. Politicos throughout Washington, D.C. were deathly afraid of Charles Colson. He was Nixon's lawyer. He was, um, he'd tie you up in litigation. He would come for you in litigation all the time. He was ruthless. When news of his conversion to Christianity leaked to the press... In 1973, the Boston Globe reported this. They said this about Charles Colson. They said, if Mr. Colson can repent of his sins, there has to be hope for everybody. <laughs> this is the guy. In 1974, Colson pled guilty to water, Watergate related charges of obstruction of justice, and he went to jail. While in jail, he was blown away by the injustice in the prisons. And and what was going on in the prisons that he vowed when he got out of jail, he would dedicate his life to ministering to prisoners. Uh, Prison fellowship today is in over 183 countries around the world. Tens of millions of prisoners have been ministered to by this this ministry. And Chuck Colson said this about the resurrection. I think that this this adds weight for who he was. He was part of Nixon's cabinet. Look, Look what he says. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved that to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. When they proclaimed that, they proclaimed that truth for 40 years. Never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate emboiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. (laughs) You're telling me 12 peasants with no form of communication spread all over the world could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Absolutely impossible. Another argument they'll say is well the disciples must have been hallucinating there's been reports of people having group hallucinations and I, I will tell you there has been reports of that but usually those hallucinations experts will tell you is like they're all in the same place at the same time right and they see like Jesus in a piece of toast or they see Jesus in a cloud or they you know it's not spread out Over periods of time, people who said, I ate with him, I touched him, we talked with him, we interacted with him. That does not, that kind of hallucination does not exist in in group settings. Other people, they'll say, Well, listen, you know, we're 21st century people. The resurrection denies the laws of science. And I stand here quoting the great um, prophet, uh, Nacho Libre. I believe in science. And here's the thing with science. We only know so much about the reality of the universe. Scientists estimate that our, the, the, the one universe we live in, which they, they believe now they're multiple, but that's another day. The one universe we live in, its distance span, is if you were going the speed of light for 13.8 billion years, you'd get from one end to the other. It's thirteen point eight billion light years wide. That's big. I'm just letting you know. That's that's bigger than Fresno and Clovis. It's bigger than the Bay Area. It's bigger than wherever. It's big. They also know that ninety five percent of the mass of the substance that is in that giant universe is called dark matter. And you're like, what is dark matter? Did Darth Vader create that? Is that like part of the force? Like what's going on? Here's here's the thing. Scientists don't know what dark matter is. They can't see it. They can't touch it. They can't test it. All the other elements in the universe they know about, but 95% of the universe, they can't explain it to you. The laws of gravity when they hit the event horizon of a black hole completely burst apart and change. Like, We know so little about the universe, and it is so arrogant of us to say, oh, well, you know, we we have science now. Listen, when Albert Einstein would teach his students about relativity, a book that he would give them, he'd have them read a small short story called Flatlands, and it's a story of a person who is three-dimensional like all of us. All of us in this room, we are three-dimensional. I don't care how skinny you are, you're three-dimensional. And this, as a matter of fact, if, the per- if you know the person next to you, don't do it to a stranger because that's creepy. If you, if you know the person next to you, poke them, make sure they're real. They're not a hologram, right? It, he, the story is about a man that is three-dimensional like you and me, but somehow he is living in a two-dimensional world. And all the other people, like the pages of a book, Right? All the other people only have access to two dimensions of reality. But because he has that third dimension, he has like powers that they can't fathom. You know, he can step forward and he disappears. They're like, where did he go? Steps back in. He's like, he magically appeared, right? And and to, to them, it was like superpowers. He was like a Marvel guy, like, portal, jump in, Right? theoretical physicists now tell us that there's somewhere between 6 and 11 dimensions of reality that we know very we know nothing about really and i want you to think about that if there are 11 dimensions of reality and we only have access to 3 Could not the one who's created all reality, the one who is the truth, the life, the way, could he, the one that spoke it all into existence, if he had access to all 11 dimensions of reality, do you not think the afterlife is possible? Do you not think he could rise from the dead? He could walk on water. He could do these things that don't seem scientific to our small minds, but he sees the whole thing. As a matter of fact, the scriptures tell us that when Jesus returns, it'll be like the pulling back of a curtain and we will see reality and you'll see the universe for who it is and Suri thought I was talking to her go away Hi, Siri, your virtual assistant. go away Siri. <laughs> stupid apple products anyways <laughs> that's such a good point though Sorry, ruin ruined it. I, I just want you to think about that. He had a, has access to all of that. And one day he will peel back the curtain and every dimension of reality you will see. And we'll go, oh. So. The last objection to re- resurrection is one that's become really popular in the last three years. People will say, well, Sean, that's your truth. That's not my reality. It's not my truth. And I understand where that comes from. I believe this, that people look at um, things differently. They see things differently. But in the end, things that are true are true. Things that are real are real. And you have to deal with them. And, um, you know, I, I, I give you this example If a brain surgeon comes to you and he shows you the MRI and he says, listen, um, you have a tumor we need to operate now, you're not going to look at him and go, well, that's your truth. (laughs) If you have a toothache and the dentist says, I'm going to need to take that out, you don't say, that's your truth. If you have a baby that has jaundice. And the doctor says, listen, it needs vitamin D, it needs sunlight, put it under this lamp, it's a very simple treatment. You don't look at the doctor and go, no, no, that's your truth. I have the magic eraser. I'll just rub all the yellow off my little baby. No, that's stupid. And the truth of the matter is, when, when, when we use the, it's your truth, not mine, that, that actually isn't a logical thing, it's a heart thing. It's, it's us saying, but I don't want to believe that. I don't want to believe that because there's, a ram- there's ramifications if I believe that. And that's a difficult decision. But that leads me to number two. The resurrection challenges your heart. Because today, you've heard the story of it, and Jesus calls people to believe, and you have to make that decision whether you will believe it or not. The disciples were going back. I mean, the next passage of Scripture, I want to read you a little bit of it. The disciples were walking back to Galilee. They were, all right, I guess i got to go back to fishing. You know, my wife and my family has been like, when are you going to get a real job? You don't even follow this Jesus guy, and now it's all falling apart. So they're going back to their old life. They're going to go back and do what they knew before Jesus. And the Bible says in Luke's gospel, that Jesus appeared to them. And for whatever reason, they didn't understand. They they didn't know it was him. They couldn't tell. I don't know why. I don't understand that. There's theories about it, but whatever. They didn't know. And he begins to ask them, why are you guys so dejected? What's wrong? And they say, have you been living under a rock? Have you not heard what's going on? Jesus of of, of Nazareth, he was a prophet, mighty in word and deed. and, And some thought that he was... the." The Messiah. We had followed him and, and they, 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 they arrested him and crucified him. And now some of our women are saying he's risen from the dead. And we're going home. And then they said this. I love this. Verse 21 through 24. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, on the third day since all this took place... In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came and told us that they would seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So Jesus begins to explain how the Messiah has to... Be arrested and and suffer and die for the sins of all people. Because the the Bible tells us this, that all people are sinners, that sin has separated us from God. That we can't have a relationship with the living God. We can't have eternity with the living God because of our sin. My sin, your sin, everyone's sin. He's explaining how the scriptures are all pointing to Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and then his return and they're, they're like blown away by what this guy is teaching them. They still don't realize it's Jesus. So they, they're, they're about to part ways and they're like, no, 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 stay with us, stay with us. We're going to have a meal. Galilee, by the way, was two days journey away. So they, they had to stay the night somewhere. So they said, stay with us, have a meal with us. So they're eating this meal. And I want to read you this because here's what I want you to understand. The resurrection also challenges your direction. They were going back to their old life. They were just going back to what they, they had known verse 30 through 34, it says, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he gave it thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? And they got up And they returned immediately to Jerusalem. Then they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true. The Lord is risen. He has appeared to Simon. Here's what I I need need us all to understand. You can pick your own way. God loves you so much, He'll let you go your own way, define your own truth, do whatever, whatever you want. He respects your autonomy in that way. But at some point, you have to make a decision of who Jesus is. You have to make a decision. Was he the Lord? Was he a liar? Or was he crazy? Because it's clear he wasn't a fake person. This isn't a fable. It's documented history. And you have to deal with that. And that challenges your heart because we have a natural thing in us that we want to go our way. We want to do things our way. We want the life we've planned for ourselves. My question to you is, how's the life you planned for yourself going? Is, are you becoming the person you've always wanted to be? See, what I would tell you is this. You'll never be the person you've always wanted to be until you connect yourself to the one that created you. Because he knows who you were meant to be. He knows who you are. He knows you. He loves you. He doesn't look at you. He's not angry. He doesn't look down and wag his finger at you. He just says, all who are weary, come to me. Take my yoke, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And you can go your way, the way of the world. And we already know that way is full of anxiety, fear, pain, worry, Ultimately, hopelessness, because all you have is this life. But the way of Jesus is the way. It's your way. And the Bible says this. You know, it talked about when he was talking to them, that their hearts were burning. Another analogy the Bible uses for that is Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. He's talking about the door of your heart. That you sense the God who loves you knocking at the door of your heart. And it's, it's up to you whether you will invite him in or not. Because it says in John 1.12 this, But as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Do, do, do you get it? That Jesus has a plan for your life. He stands at the door of your heart and he says, I want you. I have a purpose for you. I have a life for you. I have something set apart for you. Will you take it? Will you receive it? But you have to make that decision. And it's a courageous decision. And in a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And maybe, maybe you've never prayed that prayer before. I want to encourage you to do something courageous that on... April 9th, 2023, the God of the universe knocked at the door of your heart, and you you opened it and let him in. I did it when I was 17 years old. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't fully understand what that meant. I just knew, holy crap, God, you're real. That That was literally all I had. And I said, this is real. I'm in, Jesus. I sat on the edge of a hotel bed by myself and had that moment. And I didn't know how to be a Christian. I didn't know how to follow Jesus. I didn't know any of that. And believe me, in the, the, you know, I was 17, I'm 23 now. So in the last five years, <laughs> a kid, in the last long time, I've gotten up and I've fallen. I've gotten up and I've fallen. I've gotten up and I've fallen. And here's what I know. Jesus has been faithful all the time, even when I wasn't. And he's going to finish what he started in me, and he'll finish what he started in you. But it takes that act of faith, it takes that act of courage to invite him in. Some of you this morning, maybe you've done that before, but you're like the disciples. Somewhere along the way, you just went back to your old life. God is not mad at you. He's just waiting for you to step back into his kingdom. He waits patiently. And maybe for you today, that's your day today. But this is your moment, not mine. So let's just bow our heads and let's pray. Wherever you're at.